You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2. As you guys are turning there, I'll introduce myself. My name is Joe, and I'm one of our church planting residents here at Round Rock, at least for a few more days. Uh, we are getting ready to launch a new work in our neighboring community of Hutto uh, early of next year. So we ask that you be in prayer for what God is doing there. We're excited about it. It's kind of a bittersweet time for us. We have, man, thoroughly enjoyed our time with you guys. You guys have welcomed us in with open harm, arms, and man, it's just been an amazing time, but all good things got to come to an end, right? And so we will be shifting to the east. And uh, in fact, we actually have uh, our last information meeting today, downtown Lamppost Coffee at 5 o'clock. So just putting any last second plugs in there if you feel called to be a part of this work. Uh, just be praying for that. We've, uh, our core team will be gathering as well as some of our neighbors that we've been living on mission with. And, and just hoping that we can come in and just share what God has been doing in this community of Hutto. And so we're just excited about it. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I want to thank Josh and Jordan for this opportunity to preach with you guys this morning. And uh, yeah, so let's just dive into it. If, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we read God's Word this morning out of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and, assert, and ascertained them that what time the star had appeared. And he had sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Church, this is God's word. You may be seated. So I want to kick off this morning just kind of a little bit different. Um, I want to kick off this morning with just a kind of a Christmas tree fun fact. My wife has been working through this Advent book. I think like many of you Redeemer ladies have been working alongside. And, and I found, as I skimmed through kind of what you guys are doing, I found these little interesting facts tucked in the top corner that I just I thought was just really, really interesting that I want to share with you guys this morning. So did you know that the Christmas trees were first called paradise trees? They represented humanity's fall in the garden. Now, traditionally, they would be brought into the home on Christmas Eve 
unless you were with our family. We do it before Thanksgiving. And these trees were decorated with apples, symbolizing the fruit that Adam and Eve took from of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. And eventually that these apples would be replaced with the round bulbs that probably many of us now decorate our trees with. Christmas trees were also decorated with paper garlands, ribbons, nuts, round pastry wafers, which symbolized a, a communion wafers, and also candles. You heard that right. They lit candles. Uh, when they lit these, these candles, it was to represent the light piercing through the darkness with the arrival of Jesus. And, and in 1882 in New York City, Edward Johnson, who was a, a trusted friend of Thomas Edison, he took a strand of Edison's lights that he had recently invented, and he used them to decorate, to wrap around his Christmas tree. And Johnson's idea of the stranded lights offered a safer, less hazardous way to celebrate this tradition. Now, at first, the public did not trust the idea of electric lights on a tree, but it's okay, a lit candle is just fine. <laughs> and it wasn't until 1895 when President Grover Cleveland featured the first electrically lit Christmas tree in the White House that more and more people began to make the switch. Whatever happens there, that's, that's just the route you go, right? So pretty interesting stuff as we step into week three of Advent. Now, remember, Advent is a time for us to reset, refocus, and really recalibrate our adoration and our worship. And our text this morning puts us in a very specific time and place in history. God would sovereignly ensure the fulfillment of a prophecy through a Roman census that takes Joseph and his pregnant wife Mary to the birthplace and to Jesus' birthplace in Bethlehem. And there, in the humblest of circumstances, Mary gives birth to the one who would one day rule the world. Now, this miraculous birth would bring Mary and Joseph some unexpected guests with some unexpected gifts. And verse, verse 2 tells us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men, they came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. So we start with what Scripture says, wise men traveling to the west in search of this, this new king. Now, the first thing that pops into my mind is what makes these guys really so special or really so wise? You see, in earlier times, these wise men were also known as the Magi. Magi were known as priests and experts in mysteries of Persia and Babylon, but by this time, it applied to a wide range of people whose practices included astrology, dream interpretation, the study of sacred writings, the pursuit of wisdom, and then also magic. So whatever religious practices that these, these magi, these, these wise men had engaged in prior to this new star on their radar, they respond with leaving and traveling to worship the person to whom the, the cosmos have just declared. Now their travel wouldn't have taken a few days to get to where they're at. It would have taken many weeks, possibly even many months to get there. They were traveling roughly about 1,000 miles to get to where they're at in this moment, which is in Jerusalem at the throne of King Herod. Now, King Herod, also known as Herod the Great, was an Idomene who was a, an appointed king of the Jews under Roman authority. He was a master builder who restored the temple in Jerusalem, and he also built many theaters, palaces, cities, and fortresses. He was a money man like most kings are, financing structures that included pagan temples all throughout the Roman Empire. Now, so far, 
King Herod or Herod the Great doesn't sound like too bad of a guy, except for us, the whole like pagan thing. We, we wouldn't agree with that. But hear this. King Herod had many of his relatives executed. He had several of his sons killed, and he even murders his own wife. And what we're seeing here is God is using these wise men to make an announcement to King Herod and really all of Jerusalem of this new coming king. And when Herod the king heard this, it says that he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling a team of people that's made up of chief priests and scribes, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. So this is troubling news for Herod because someone is contending for his kingdom. But like Josh taught us last week, this isn't just somebody. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And so what we're seeing is like a a good old-fashioned rivalry rise up. It's like a replay of the turkey bowl, right? Was that too soon? It's just kidding. But really, really, we're seeing like a a crosstown showdown, a new contender for the crown. And in one corner, we have King Herod, who is this oppressive, just lunatic, this murderous lunatic. And in the other corner, we have probably no taller than two feet, less than 30 pounds, born in a manger uh, because there was no room for him, is this little toddler named Jesus. And this news... This child, this young Messiah, this young king has Herod on edge, so much so that he he calls this team of people together to help him understand about this coming Christ. And it says that he, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told them, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Again, this isn't new information that these leaders, they clearly knew the scriptures. But I want want to pose a question to you guys. Do you think that these guys were in eager expectation for the coming Messiah? Or were they a distracted and possibly even a disconnected people Because this potentially fulfilled prophecy was worthy of more than just a scripture reference. This was worthy of a pursuit. They've been waiting for this this news. They've been waiting for this Messiah to come. And all they do is they just give a scripture reference and then just move on with life. And Jesus would actually speak to this later in his life in John chapter 5 where he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Church, life is found in Christ Jesus alone. So these chief priests and these scribes, they seem to definitely have a head knowledge, but their hearts seem far from God. And so the scribes point Herod and us to the prophet Micah. Now Micah to us is known as a minor prophet. He lived in the small town of Moresheth, which is just a few miles west of Bethlehem in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he lived during the same time period as, as a, another prophet that you guys might be familiar with, is, is, uh, whose name is Isaiah. And some quick history here. So the northern and the southern kingdoms had a split long time ago, and both of them had been violating God's covenant with uh, the God of Israel. And so Micah would warn that God would, 
He would one day allow the Assyrians to come and to take out the north, and after that, Babylon would bring even more destruction. And so like the prophets, like all the prophets, Micah would speak on God's behalf to accuse Israel of his idolatry and his sin. Or as he puts it in in Micah chapter 3, he says, I am filled with power and with the Spirit of the Lord. And Micah says, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So like Isaiah, Micah accuses and warns of God's impending judgment on the nation of Israel. But he doesn't stop there. He also shares this message of hope. A hope of a coming ruler from the city of Bethlehem to come and shepherd God's people, Israel. What we're seeing here is chapter 2 is actually alluding us back to to Matthew 1.1. In fact, Jordan preached on this two weeks ago. And the connection here, it says, In the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, God, he first called Abraham, who was a pagan man from a pagan land, to go to a new place that he will show him. And so what we're seeing in our story this morning is we're, we're seeing wise but pagan men from a pagan land, more, more, more than likely probably somewhere from where Abraham was from or somewhere really close, that have now traveled to a place that God has revealed to them by way of star. And in regards to David, we're told that on his coronation day that he would shepherd God's people. And now we see this, this Messiah, this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, just like King David, who's going to rule and reign and he'll shepherd God's people. In fact, Jesus is known as the Good Shepherd. So that day that Micah prophesied, probably 700 years prior, that day is upon King Herod, it's upon these leaders, and it's upon this nation. Church, God, he made a promise and he kept his promise. And we see that in Jesus. And it says, then Herod summon the wise men secretly and, 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 and ask them what, from when, excuse me, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. King Herod is like, this isn't going to work. Like, oh no, this, this, this is not good. So what he does is he's like, we need, we need to develop some sort of game plan. And so he brings these wise men, the magi, to the side, and he starts interrogating them. He starts asking him, when exactly did this, when did, when did this star appear? You know, I can imagine some common core math skills going on in his head. He's doing some mental math. Is, is, is this Christ, is he already in Bethlehem? Can you help me find him, you know, so I can come and, come and worship him? Which translates to, so I can kill him? Oh, King Herod, oh, King Herod, you like the serpent with your manipulative motives are so quick to whisper lies, to deceive. You're not ahead of the creator of the universe. So quit, quit trying to get all this information out of these wise guys and try and stop this new king that God has allowed to be born in your backyard. You see, what he's processing is that this is no ordinary person. This is the promised Messiah. This is the incarnated Christ. Isaiah tells us that this is the the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Our Bible tells us that, that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is not just the savior of the Jews, but church, it's the savior of the world. 
And King Herod, you're not going to stop what God has willed into action. But King Herod's like, ah, you guys, y'all go, y'all go ahead. Y'all go to Bethlehem. And when you find them, go search diligently. When you find them, just bring me word. And so after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose and went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. So with this theme of, of decorations in mind, if your nativity scenes have the wise men at the stable in the back, your wise men are not so wise. Jesus wasn't a baby anymore. He was probably about two years old. He was a young child, and they, they, weren't, they weren't still at that nativity scene. They were actually in a home at this time. And we're, not, we're also not told about how many wise men there were. There could have been three. There could have been 30. There could have been 300. We just, we just don't know. But one thing that we do know is that when they saw the star, the wise men, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and it says that they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So stepping into the presence of true royalty, it drives these wise men into a joyful worship. Remember, they've been on the road for a pretty good amount of time, for a pretty good distance. And I don't know about you, but I, I know this about me. I, I've got to constantly remind myself as I read through the Bible that God has revealed to us important information that he wants us to know, but our Bibles are not a record of daily journal entries. We're just given glimpses into these, these pockets or to these windows of times to see these important moments of history and prophecy. But these are real men and real women who are living real life in these pockets or in these gaps. And they, like us, had really good days and really bad days, but we just don't see every single day. In the life of, in the life of a disciple, there's just a, a faithful daily obedience that we're called to. Can you imagine how many difficult days these wise men had following this star? They're traveling this rigorous, rigorous terrain to get to this moment. Now imagine how awesome that would have been after traveling a thousand miles and to see this young Messiah, this two-year-old Messiah, man, it just drives them into worship. They worship this young king, but they don't just fall down in praises, but they also bring presents, which represents God's generosity and also his provision. These wise men, I feel like, are getting wiser by the moment as they are offering up their treasures to this young child of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And gold speaks to Jesus' divine nature and righteousness. It represents royalty. And it also helps Mary and Joseph financially. We're told that frankincense is a resin used in ceremony for the only incense permitted on the altar which is suggesting the fragrance of Jesus' perfect life. And then lastly, we're told they brought myrrh, which is a sap used in incense or strong perfume that's usually used to mask the smell of dead bodies, which would be speaking to this young, innocent toddler's up-and-coming sacrificial death. So more than likely, these, these wise men wouldn't have understood the significance of these gifts that they brought. They would have understood the value, how much they cost, but probably not the meaning behind those things. Again, we're seeing God use his creation to bring honor and glory to himself. 
And in this season of Christmas or the season of Advent, you know, we've been learning we're supposed to look back and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, man, and celebrate and just get really excited about those things, not get lost in the chaos. But at the same time, in eager expectation, we're to look forward to, for, for Jesus' second coming. We can see in Isaiah chapter 60 that he, pro- he prophesies to this. He speaks to this. And he says that the people of God will come in droves, full of joy and excitement. He's talking about the new Jerusalem, the second coming. They're going to come full of joy, full of excitement, bringing the wealth of of the nations. And look at this. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Notice that the people of God, like the Magi, they bring bring their, their treasures, gold and frankincense. But at the New Jerusalem, there's, there's no myrrh. Why? Because there's no need for it. There's no need for it. Because in about 30 or so years, this young toddler would grow up, and he would be arrested. He would be beaten. He would be mocked. They would spit. They would hit. Then they would clothe our king with, pur- with a purple cloak. And with a crown of thorns that they twisted together, they crowned our king, forcing it down into his skull. And after kneeling down and paying homage and wicked humor, they would strip our king of his dignity, and they would lead him to his new throne, which we know is a Roman cross. And it was there, after they finished nailing our king to the cross, they would nail his charges above his head, which read this. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. You see, even his charges attest and identify who he is, which is King. Church, our King doesn't look to just conquer enemies and territory, but he conquers death. He conquers death. And the most beautiful Christmas decoration to ever be hung on a tree, I'm going to proclaim it's, it's our King Jesus. And church, if you're here this morning and Jesus is not your King, but you desire Him, you want Him to be, I would just challenge you just to call, call upon His name, which is the name above every other name, and you too can be saved. And this gospel, this is what Isaiah is sharing in his prophecy. The myrrh has been traded for good news, for the gospel. And once God removes the scales from our eyes, we can now now recognize who Christ our King is. It demands a response. Hear me. It demands a response of worship, which is what we see from these wise men. They didn't just bring presents and gifts to, to earn merit or to earn favor, but they opened up their treasures out of adoration and out of worship of this young king. And church, in ways in which we can adorn and worship our King Jesus is too by offering him our treasures back to him. And it's not because he needs it, but it's an overflow of our heart, of thankfulness to our king that we adorn King Jesus, which is what we're doing here this morning. This is why we're here. This is what we do during the season of Advent, during the season of Christmas. 
And we worship God by proclaiming the gospel, by proclaiming this good news. We've been worshiping by song and praise, by reading scriptures, by praying together. We're about to worship by singing some more songs. We're going to worship with the sacrament of communion because we have been invited, those who have put their faith in Jesus, we have been invited to sit at the king's table and we'll worship with communion. And we also have the opportunity to worship with our time by serving the kingdom. Or maybe financially we can, we can give of our finances, which is an act of worship. So I'm going to end with this. Church, are we willing to offer our times, our talents, and our treasures back to God? Again, not because he needs it, but because it's an overflow of adoration and worship from from us to our king. It's trust. It's us adorning the gospel. It's us trusting in the story of God, trusting in the prophecies that have been proclaimed over thousands and thousands of years, and it's trusting in the person and the work of Jesus, our Messiah, our King. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, Father, we thank you for who you are, God, in our lives. God, that we can look to you and trust that you are good. Father, I pray that, that as we gather this, this, not only this morning, but even throughout the week, God, that this, this adoration, this worship is just continuously overflowing as we're reminded of the good news over and over again. God, that you have sent your son, King Jesus, to die for us. Where most kings that we read about, or all kings that we read about, send people off uh, to be murdered and to be destroyed, to, to protect themselves. Our king took on the flesh of, the, of, of a suffering servant, Lord, and he laid his life down for his people, God. And that's who we want to follow. That's who we want to worship, God. That's who we want to adorn. And so, Father, as we just look to you during this season of Advent, God, let us just be just overwhelmed in what you've done and God, in what you're doing, and Lord, in what you're going to do. And let us, let us just sing and shout and, and, and speak praises to our King Jesus. Father, we love you, and God, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.